Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, February 3rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Jeff Bezos is stepping aside as the head of Amazon. Mario Draghi could be stepping up as the next prime minister of Italy. And silver has been up and down this week. We'll take a look at the ride. Plus, the democratically elected leader of Myanmar is now under house arrest. Our Southeast Asia correspondent explains how the military coup is affecting the country. I'm Mark Filipino. Here's the news you need to start your day. Amazon posted record quarterly revenues of more than $125 billion at the end of last year. But the biggest news was about a personnel change at the very top of the company. Amazon's founder and CEO Jeff Bezos says he will step aside later this year to become executive chairman. The head of Amazon's cloud computing division, Andy Jassy, will become the company's next CEO. Here to unpack these moves is Dave Lee. He covers Amazon for the Financial Times. Why is is Bezos making this shift? Well, he says it's to focus on some of his uh, passion projects, I guess you'd call it. He was saying that being the CEO of Amazon is an all-consuming job. Um, And of course, you know, he has a lot of interests now beyond the company he founded. So there's Blue Origin, for example, his space exploration. You've got things like the Washington Post, of course, which he owns. And he's been investing a lot and donating a lot to causes around fighting climate change. So he's got plenty on his plate and he's not stepping away completely from the company. He's going to become uh, executive chairman. So he's going to be having a say in some of the bigger strategic decisions uh, that Amazon has to make. Um, you know, what does this change mean for Amazon? Well, I think, yeah, the fact that the share price didn't move a great deal is kind of an endorsement of the person that Bezos and the board have decided to bring in a CEO. Andy Jassy is, you know, he's an Amazon veteran. He's been there since 1997, very, very close with Mr. Bezos. And of course, he's the architect of AWS, Amazon Web Services, the cloud division of Amazon, which is basically how Amazon makes almost all of its money compared to retail, which has tiny margins that have become even more squeezed because of the pandemic. And so, you know, if you were an investor looking at who might be an ideal candidate to take over from Jeff Bezos then you know Andy Jassy would be right up there and you know he's cut from the same cloth as Bezos and his priorities are similar to Bezos and uh, and they're expecting an orderly smooth transition as well. Dave Lee covers Amazon for the Financial Times he's based in San Francisco thanks Dave. Thank you Mark. The former head of the European Central Bank could be the next prime minister of Italy. The country's president, Sergio Mattarella, is expected to ask Mario Draghi to form a new government. Draghi served as the president of the European Central Bank for most of last decade. He helped guide the bloc out of the eurozone debt crisis, and under his watch, the ECB cut its deposit rate below 0% in 2014. Draghi would step into the seat vacated by Italy's former prime minister, Giuseppe Conte, whose coalition government collapsed in January. Conte himself resigned last week. Draghi and President Mattarella are expected to meet today. In U.S. markets, the S&P 500 index ended Tuesday up nearly 1.5%. But once again, individual stocks traded by the Reddit army of amateur traders offered up some drama. One of their favorites, GameStop, plunged so steeply it triggered a brief trading halt. GameStop ended the day 60% lower. These retail traders have also become interested in silver. 
After chatting about buying funds linked to the precious metal, silver prices jumped to an eight-year high. The FT's commodities correspondent, Henry Sanderson, has been keeping an eye on this. Hey, Henry. Hi. So, Henry, were these Reddit traders, these amateur traders that have this sudden newfound power in, well, at least some corners of the market, were they behind the price fluctuations in silver funds? Yeah, so it seems that silver prices went up suddenly, and also prices for the largest silver-backed exchange-traded funds saw huge inflows after a post on Reddit calling for people to buy silver in order to create a what they called a short squeeze in the market, targeting the big banks. But what's happened uh, since then is there's been quite a backlash on Reddit saying that actually they weren't behind this. But there's no doubt that this original call led to a wave of buying of silver. So you've reported that, unlike with GameStop, market professionals had actually not been betting against silver. In fact, it was the complete opposite. The overall prediction was for the metal to rise. So did the retail investors misread the market? It looks like they did. It's very different to GameStop. I mean, GameStop was, in a way, a very well thought out strategy. You had a very visible short position that could be squeezed. But silver is a different matter. On the futures market, there wasn't a net short position. There was a net long position. So people were betting on prices rising. But not only that, yes, it's true that of those holding short positions, there were some banks, and there are some banks, no doubt. But the banks generally go short on the futures to hedge their holdings of silver in vaults in London. They do that to sort of make sure they're not exposed to price rises. So they're not going to be damaged by this. So it all raises the question, you know, who's the target? Who are you hurting here? And is this just a sort of not well thought through strategy? And when it comes down to it, buying silver isn't the same as buying shares on the stock market, right? We're we're talking about a physical commodity. Did the buying frenzy lead to a shortage of physical metal? The thing is, there's lots of silver in the London vaults, and there's lots of silver around in the world. When they suddenly bought silver, there were shortages reported by retailers of silver bars and coins. And that's mostly because, obviously, they have a certain amount of inventory. And then suddenly, you know, you get a whole load of orders, they run out of inventory. But it doesn't mean there's a sudden shortage of, of silver in the world. I mean, what happened last year with COVID-19 when the pandemic happened was very interesting. Logistics was interrupted and you couldn't fly silver or gold around the world. Then we did see shortages emerge because the whole world's sort of logistics systems had ground to a halt. But this recent action, we haven't seen that. Could there be any longer term impacts on the price or, or the way the silver market operates after this event? This event has obviously put a huge amount of attention onto the silver market. It's probably got a lot of investors, you know, hadn't thought about silver, thinking about it. And as I said um, before, people were actually positive on silver before this happened. And the reason is that silver is used in solar panels. There's going to be lots of demand for those. It's used in electronics. Um, you know, so it has a good future. And so we could see that people, they might actually do some work, homework on silver and you know, be positive on it and put some money behind that. Myanmar's democratically elected leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, is under house arrest. Earlier this week, the military staged a coup and arrested her and also other officials from the ruling National League for Democracy, or NLD. The generals behind the push have claimed, without evidence, that the NLD's landslide in last November's election was fraudulent. The FT's Southeast Asia correspondent, John Reed, explains what the coup means for the country. 
The coup basically ends Myanmar's decade-old democratic transition. And it, in, in the country, it's brought back very bad memories of the almost 50 years the country spent under military rule. Min Aung Klang, the military commander-in-chief, says he will step down in a year's time after a new election is held. But people are understandably cynical about this. So, John, considering that the government has been led by Aung San Suu Kyi's National League for Democracy for such a long time, has the economy improved? I think they've definitely improved. I mean, this was an economy that was um, closed off from the rest of Asia and the world for um, close to five decades. The NLD government began reforms of the economy and of the banking system, brought normal telecoms to the country, opened up a new consumer economy and so on. It wasn't a terrific business climate in terms of how foreign investors felt. There were a lot of complaints about erratic economic management, the bureaucracy that companies have to go to when dealing with Napidaw, and complaints about corruption. Uh, but there was a, a sort of a slow march forward. And indeed, Myanmar had one of the highest um, economic growth rates in Asia before COVID. So how will the coup affect the economy and foreign investment, if at all? I mean, this is not an economy that relies primarily on FDI to start with. So that's one thing to keep in mind. I guess the second point is that most of the investors who are there are Asian. What matters is we have the, you know, the U.S. starting to talk about sanctions. But it's worth noting that the Asian companies that actually have investments there are not talking about this. And again, the Asian investors were the first and they're the biggest. They've done business through thick and thin in Myanmar and indeed through past military coups and military rule. How about ordinary people, John? Will they feel the effects of this coup in their daily lives? Um, people are going to be at home more, um, spending less. And indeed, there's a danger of political unrest as well if past military crackdowns and the public response to them are anything to go by. So it's certainly not good news. Myanmar is already one of Asia's poorest countries, and the pandemic had put you know, millions of people who, in the informal economy, living off of daily wages, out of work right? And already struggling to exist. So again, if there's um, further uncertainties thrown into the mix by this abrupt disruption of democracy and risk of further street unrest, it's bad news indeed for the millions of poor people in Myanmar. John Reed is the FT's Southeast Asia correspondent. And before we go, a correction about the story we ran in yesterday's show about the Chinese short video app, Kuaishou. We described Kuaishou videos as seven seconds long. In fact, they used to be seven seconds, but now they can be much longer. We also neglected to mention the size of the IPO. Kuaishou is set to raise more than $6 billion, and that would give the company a valuation of about $60 billion. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.
Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.